Well, hello, friends. Welcome to The Bishop and the Moose. I'm the Bishop, Barry Klingen, and I'm joined by Kirk Moose of MooseMinistriesInc.com. Hope you go and check his website out and all that uh, ministry that he is involved in there. Kirk, good to see you tonight. Pastor Barry, it's really good to see you as well. As always, great to have you guys with us. Tonight, we really want to continue the conversation about Elijah. I mean, he's such a powerful figure in the Word of God, and there's so many different facets. He's almost like an onion. You could just keep peeling the layers off. What makes it so exciting is that the Old Testament ends with that wonderful prophecy from Malachi that tells us, you know, that I before the end, before the Lord returns, uh, there, you know, is going to come. Then there's I'm going to send Elijah the prophet, and he's going to, you know, bring the hearts of the fathers and the childrens back together. And so his whole ministry. There's so much about his ministry, but his oh, yeah. whole ministry is about restoration and bringing restoration and. You know, um, I, I look at the whole picture of Elijah and realize that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, uh, understand Elijah has come in John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, I'm not Elijah. But the angel said before Elijah was born that he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And that's what an Elijah ministry is. So we go back and look at the real Elijah and learn all about his ministry and realize that's what John the Baptist did in preparing the way of the Lord. And it is, I believe, what is going to come upon the church in the last days uh, before the Lord uh, returns. People want to know what is God doing today. And I believe this is an essential understanding that uh, Elijah, the, the spirit and power of Elijah must come upon the church today. And I, for one, I'm very encouraged in this day because I believe what we are going through is a purifying test uh, for the church to get back to the main things. I mean, we've had our smoke machines and our entertainment centers and our TV studios and all, and those are all great. A lot of that stuff is nothing wrong with that, but we got to get back to the altar. And we spent a lot of time, Kirk, talking about how the, one of the main things Elijah did is he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And and Hebrews says the church today, not the Old Testament today, we have an altar, an altar of sacrifice, spiritual sacrifices that we bring to God. And we need, I think, physically an altar in our meeting place where men and women, children can come and and meet God and find God, pour their hearts out to him. And I, I love that having that altar in the church. But if we turn to tonight, I wanted to focus a little bit, Kirk and I want to talk a little bit about restoration, bringing things back to where they were supposed to be. Um, you know, it doesn't take spiritual people today. All people say they feel like something has gone off the rails. Things are not going in the direction they should be going in. You know, I've been around for a lot of presidential elections, and we're about to have another one here. And people will always be asked this question, what do you think about the direction of the country? Well, that never is answered positively uh, to a great degree because even in the best of times, people realize there's something there's something missing in my life, there's something missing in my family, there's something missing in the church and the nation, and they always feel that sense of loss that is there. And, and Elijah was the repair, rep, he was the prototype of the repair of the breach and all of these. And uh, let's talk about a couple of those things in Elijah's life. Uh, I'd, I'd start off with just the individual. Just starting off with a single individual human being. Uh, Elijah had an interesting phrase that was used. You know, he was Elijah who stood before the presence of the Lord. And um, what's unusual about that? He defined himself 
by standing before the presence of the Lord. You know, our 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 world today is in a massive search to be understood and social media and the way we present ourselves. I I told my teenage daughter the other day, I said, your, your generation has so many rules, I can't even keep up with them about what you do and don't do in social situations. They don't list these rules, but they all operate by them. And I said, you know, whether it's teenagers or whether it's adults, young adults, senior adults, people are always seeking this desire to who am i personality test and and enneagram all these things are just they continue to blossom people want to know who they are and elijah was a very simple thing he said i define myself by standing before the presence of the lord and uh what about you kirk when when you stand before the presence of the lord how does that define you <laughs> when you stand before the presence of the lord you almost instantly First of all, it's almost like you see yourself. Why? Because you know you are not adequate there in his is. presence. You yes. know you don't have enough. Yes. You know to do what he's calling you to do. It's going to be in his strength and not yours because he always asks you to do something you're not equipped to do in your natural self. That's one of the things, Pastor, I'm sure you've noticed. Any person that's like called to ministry, not someone that's a good public speaker that's decided to go into ministry, but yes. someone who has the call oh. of ministry... There's not the gifting of public speaking or the gifting of these other things. God puts the empowerment on the people or the person or the group so that they can yes. do the work because it's not the person that's to get the glory. It's God who gives them the ability that's supposed to be getting the glory. That's exactly exactly right. I think I, I kind of put him you on the spot, but I know what you're going to say when you say that because you, you stand before the presence of the Lord, you, you're inadequacy. And and flesh that that yep. doesn't feel you know anything of, of flesh. I, I, you know when God met Moses, uh, He said, "Take your shoes off." Why? Because even one half or one quarter of an inch of leather is too high to be elevated in the presence of the Lord. You got to get down, and you know all of that defines us. I, I get defined not by my standing in front of a group of people and them seeing me on my thirty best minutes of the week, you know and. Uh, I had someone years ago tell me as a pastor said, uh, "Boy, I wish I had a husband like you. You're, you're, you're just so perfect, and you're so good." I thought, "Honey, you see me on my thirty best minutes of the week. You don't see me when I, I'm not very good around the house or don't do something exactly right." Well, that goes right back to what you and I talked about before we came online. Mm. You know, we were talking about how the word actually says that Elijah was a man who had passions just like the rest of us. Yes. yes. So God does not look for individuals that are robots. That's right. He doesn't look for somebody that doesn't deal with issues. He wants people that, guess what, people can relate to. Why? Because it's a little hard for you or me or any other minister to minister to people if we don't understand what they go through on a day-to-day -day basis. How are we going to counsel the husband that has an issue with dealing with something with his wife or his kids if we don't have those issues that we had to work through by what? by guidance from the Holy Spirit and other leaders in our life that have been able to counsel us. That is, that is so correct. I'll just stop right there for that one second and say, do you really want to know who you are? Get alone with God Amen. and spend time with God 
And and honestly, you you'll learn just exactly who you are. You know what you're going to learn. You're going to learn your inadequacies. You're going to learn your your sin, your selfishness. Those things will come out. But you'll also learn something else. You are beloved. You hey, are pursued by a Creator God that loves to spend time with you and loves you so much He moved heaven and earth to bring His own self in the person of Christ here to die on His cross for your sins. So it's a that's a powerful thing enough there. But let's look further in Elijah's life because he not only understood that the individual could be restored by standing before the presence of the Lord, but he also, after Elijah came on the scene, what did he do? Immediately he walked out. Everybody thinks he was some you know, great prophet because he went out and said, it will not rain for three years. Well, that is pretty powerful, but you know what he was standing on? In his day, the law was very clear. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 11 that says, if you do not obey me in the land, I'm going to shut the heavens up. And all Elijah did was stand upon the word of God and claim it to be true, but it happened. And in that kind of society, dependent upon water, I had a, a water pipe bust at my house this week, had to turn the water off uh, for 24 hours. Uh, it is amazing how we depend upon water in our homes the way we do today. And so you can imagine in that society where their actual food, their crops, their yes. eating, their, their very survival was dependent upon rain and no rain, not just for a, a couple of weeks, a month, but for three years. And people are dying. It's a, it's a very serious situation. Well, during that time, he kind of hid himself out with a widow woman and her son. And what you see now is not only restoration of the individual, you start seeing how he restores now the family. Because he gets in the middle of his family, and, and the story is the woman uh, had nothing much left. They were going to die. And, you know, here comes Elijah, and, you know, he's there uh, to stay with them. And then also, uh, uh, you know, the boy gets sick and, you know, all of those type things. He's there ministering to them uh, in, that, in that process of, uh, of doing that. And the restoration of life that comes is a symbol of that. Think about how it's tied in Malachi's prophecy. Uh, with Elijah, the 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 promise that I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers and the childrens towards each other. Uh, he's going to bring a restoration in the family. That this division uh, today we call it generation gaps. So we we have all these uh, boomers and busters and and X generation and millennials and and all this to you know to divide and separate us all out. But an Elijah ministry restores all of them to their proper place in love and relationship with one another. And uh, we all know that that's wrong. I, just this afternoon, uh, you know, having just a few minutes uh, with the news on and a report and seeing a home where there was no commitment to marriage at all in that home. And, and it's so common that it's just so accepted today, but it grieves my heart that it's not what it ought to be, that that woman is not receiving the commitment that she should have in that home and all of these things that uh, that are there like that. And you know what? And we're talking about a spirit and power of Elijah now, bring in restoration in preparation for the coming of the Lord. And so you're seeing a family uh, be restored back uh, to its fullness. Uh, and, and Elijah brought that to this home uh, for them to experience the, the, the fullness of God. And uh, I can't even... I can't even begin to, uh, you know, talk about. Sometimes it is amazing. I, I do this sometimes, uh, Kirk. Um, I've been in the ministry for quite a while. When I started in the ministry, let's just kind of show you the progression here. When I started in the ministry, I used to get cards from people who visited the Sunday before, and we would go out and visit them. 
and I wasn't even a, a pastor or anything. I was just a member of the church. And, and uh, me and one of the deacons were going out to visit, and we noticed we had two cards that had two different names, last names, living at the same house. This sounds almost archaic today. But at the time, we couldn't figure it out. We walk in the house, and we realize they're living together. And they had come to church. And, well, you know, you just didn't do that. And they were ashamed. And so we talked to them, and they had never asked Christ to be Lord of their life. We led them in a prayer for them to make Christ the Lord of their lives. And then they came to church that Sunday night, and I baptized both of them in the baptistry. And then I performed a wedding right there in the baptistry with us all wet there. And uh, they they made their commitment uh, to one another. But they were ashamed for the preacher to really come into their home when they were not uh, uh, committed in, in marriage. Okay, fast forward about 10 years. I'm in a church, and uh, we were going to dedicate a child, and the the mom and the and the uh, the the dad were in total rebellion about doing anything the way God would tell them to do it, and they didn't want one of that, but they wanted their child dedicated. And I explained to them, we really don't dedicate the child; we dedicate the home, and we dedicate mom and dad. And this woman became so irate with me, she began to almost cuss at me in my office. Well, the baby hadn't done anything wrong. Why are you taking down the baby? And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm just, what What would it say to our young people if I bless this and tell them God's going to bless this when you are in rebellion? It's not a matter that they were in a bad situation or anything. They were just in out and out rebellion. We don't want to do what God says. We don't want to do what's right. We want to do what we want to do, and I dedicate our baby. I said, it doesn't work that way. So I've gone from people being embarrassed to now shouting at me, yep. to now it's fully expected that they should either bring their babies to be dedicated or I should totally accept them in the church in every way possible. Uh, you know, we don't have to do that, you know, that, that commitment thing. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't. this is not a marriage talk here today, but the Bible, I think, is very clear in the Song of Solomon. There is a, there is a uh, you know, a, a courtship. And there is then a commitment of life. That's what we call engagement today. There's a celebration of some kind where you stand publicly and make your vows. It might be just you and uh, you and your spouse with a preacher, or it might be in front of a big group of people. Either way, there's some kind of celebration and then consummation. I mean, that's what God's plan is yep. for marriage. It's totally out of order today, and we've got all the messes that we have. But the spirit and power of Elijah in church brings a restoration to that. Uh, in the body. Now, if I'm going to get through a lot of, we're going through all of Elijah's life in about 20 minutes here, uh, but you know, we come to the church, and we talked about this in the last uh, session. You can go back and watch it, but this is where he repaired the altar that was, was broken down, and we spent plenty of time talking about how the church needs an altar today, and uh, we have an altar, Hebrews 13.10, in our church, and it needs to be restored. It needs to be repaired. The the The, the home altar the church altar, you know, the, the place where we can meet God in our homes, in our church when we gather together and uh, make that primary uh, not not uh, non-existent. Make it there for people to come to. Let's quickly look on to the, the nation because this is really powerful. Uh, Elijah ministry did something for the nation. The nation of Israel at that time was under the grip of a woman from a foreign nation that had married to the king Ahab. Her name was Jezebel. 
It's really interesting because Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah, reappears in Malachi. That's what's going to happen before the coming of the great day of the Lord. Then again, it appears in Jesus' words when he says John the Baptist is Elijah and he's coming in the spirit and power. So we see that spirit and power of Elijah continuing. We also see the evil spirit of Jezebel continuing because when you get to the seven churches of Revelation uh, and uh, that written to the Asia Minor in the first part of the book of Revelation, in the New Testament, one particular church, the church at Thyatira, Jesus had this to say to them, and you suffer that woman Jezebel to teach. Most yep. scholars believe that's not just another woman named Jezebel. They believe that is Jesus referring to that Jezebel spirit that opposes Elijah, opposes the man of God, opposes and tries to bring control and domination. And in doing that, according to Revelation chapter 2 there, it causes the, the men of God to commit fornication and to surrender their morals and all of those things. So it's this real war. So she also died, but that evil spirit that controlled her continued on. And you see that war of the Jezebel spirit and the Elijah spirit in these last days. But the Elijah spirit's going to overcome and uh, oh, will yeah. always overcome. Well, if we go in and really dig deep into like the spirit of Jezebel, it's really talking about the spirit of Python, mm-hmm. which is a spirit that literally is almost like a Python to where it literally wants to control and to suffocate. Mm-hmm. So its its main goal in life, or its life, is to stop the prophetic voice, to suffocate the believer, and to bring control and try to completely change the direction that that minister or that body is going in. So it'll try to oppress to the point to where the people will just give up. That's exactly right. I've, I have seen, and I, I wish that I had been, um, you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit and given uh, more uh, wisdom revelation earlier in my ministry because I fought this and didn't even know what I was fighting. And it was only as I was equipped, uh, not only in the fullness of the Spirit, but also uh, by teaching and learning and growing in the Scripture, that this stuff is real. And, and the Spirit of Jezebel will, will, will stop things. And, and by the way, one of the biggest misnomers, the Spirit of Jezebel is not a woman. That's you right. Know, it's, it's an evil spirit. It can, it can affect anyone. And it's this, this desire uh, for control in, in, the, in the body of Christ the, one church uh, ministry I was in for uh, one time where we had just an open heaven for about four or five years of, of just incredible revival that took place. It started uh, with a confrontation. I didn't even really understand it all at the time, but it started with a with a Jezebel spirit. Just just to give you an idea how things you know were. I was in this church and. They had had five pastors in the last seven years, and here I come in, and they were going to have six, you know, because they were coming after me. And this one group in the church, nobody seemed to know how to handle them. And they, I mean, I'd get phone calls in the middle of the night. This is uh, the side of ministry that's not fun but real. And uh, one night in the middle of the night, the phone rings. It's never good when the phone rings in the middle of the night and you're a preacher. And my wife, you know, hands me the phone, and I get on there groggy, and they say, hey, so-and-so's had a heart attack. He's at the hospital. They need the pastor there. You need to go. I stumble out of bed, put my clothes on, get in my car, try to wake up a little bit, drive to the hospital in a short distance. I get there, walk in the emergency room, and they say, we don't have anybody by that name. And uh, this group was just pulling my chain every way they could and just evil to try to get me discouraged enough to leave. And uh, so you know what I did? I, I called a meeting on Sunday night one night, and we just got up. And for a long time at that church, it was known as The Sermon because I just got up, named names, and told the truth and 
pointed this group out for what they were and what they were doing. And you know what? It rescued because great men and women in that church rose up and said, finally, we got somebody to tell the truth. These people have been killing every preacher we've ever had here. It stops now. And, you know, it's not just opposed to the preacher. It's opposed to anybody who wants to exert that Elijah revival spirit or, or experience that freedom and bringing restoration to individuals, to families, to the nation, all of these things. They want to fight that. Well, the original ones, Jezebel and the Elijah in the Old Testament, you read it very clearly what happened there. But ultimately, Elijah rid the nation of Jezebel. And a spiritual Elijah ministry will overcome those evil spirits that seek to to control in such a way that they dominate and nothing of great good ever happens. So when Elijah's restoring, look what he's done in his life. He's showed us the restored individual. I stand before the presence of the Lord. He showed us the the you know the restored family by what he did with the family that he stayed with. Uh, he saw the restored church, you know, with the altar of the Lord being repaired, and now you see the entire nation being restored to where it ought to be. And uh, I could be real tempted to go off on some tangents there, you know, on that, of what's going on even in our world uh, uh, today. One one of the things I – I just want to say this, Kirk. This is maybe a little off subject, but, you know, I hear people all the time tell me, I never thought I'd live to see the day that political discourse would be so bad in our country where people would hate a president so much that they – hated him more than they loved the country or, 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 you know, those type things. And people are just amazed by that. And I, I just want to tell people, pick up a history book and read it. I mean, our nation has been a nation of incredible political battles through the years. Yep. And, and uh, you know what Elijah said to the nation? And this is what the Elijah spirit will do in our day as well. How long halt you between two opinions? If God is God, Jehovah is God, it's the true one God. Serve him. If he's got serve, if he's not, serve Baal. Serve another God. But let's find out who the real God is, and let's make a decision, and let's not live in some way where we're kind of in between the two. I think, Kurt, that's where I'm encouraged about the things that are going on right now. Not in our country so much as but what's happening to the church. The church is having to recognize, you know what, playing a little religious game on Sunday and having a little religious window dressing in my life is not enough, and it's not doing any good. And so, you know, you kind of say, well, yeah, but I don't want to fully commit to God because if I fully commit to God, I'm going to be weird or I'm going to, you know, get out there. And so, you know what we have? We have a bunch of people straddling the fence, and we need the Elijah church to rise up, look at them in the eyes and say, how long do you halt between the two opinions. It's either God or it's the devil. Who, who are you going to serve and make up your mind? And let's let, let you know. And, of course, what he did in doing the the, the showdown is that he showed that the Jehovah is God because he was the only one that could answer by fire. He was the only one that showed up that day. Uh, their God could not answer, and, and uh, it was a, was a powerful thing. I'm, I'm talking a lot here, Kurt, but I, I love history. And I'm thinking about in 1884, uh, a guy named Blaine was running for president and a guy named Grover Cleveland. And it was ugly. That's why y'all go back and read. I mean, one of them accused the other of having a baby out of wedlock, which was horrible news at that time. The other one accused them of taking money on bribes and kickbacks. It, it got so ugly. And so a bunch of the Democrats defected to vote for the Republican candidate. And so a guy that was writing for the paper then uh, showed a picture, did a political cartoon of a guy sitting on a fence, and he called them mugwumps. 
And that became a driving name in that whole election, these mugwumps. Well, what's a mugwump? Well, in his view, a mugwump is someone who sits on the fence, their mug is facing one direction, and their wump is facing the other direction. And he said, you know, we need people to make up their mind. Either they're Republicans or Democrats. That's what he was it was talking about there. And that word really characterized that horrible uh, election time that was going on. Well, I say we got spiritual mugwumps today, and people need to decide. I mean, if he's God, let's get serious. If he's not, let's go play golf, and let's, let's give up on this thing. But if he is God, and he is, let's get serious. Let's experience him uh, for all he has, because the power of Elijah will restore a nation uh, back to righteousness and, and to godliness and to wholeness and to the blessings uh, that that are given to that that country. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Very clear uh, in, in in Scripture. Uh, there, we're about to run out of time. I'm preaching over here, and well, I uh, think on top of you, I think it's really time for us, you know, to really draw a line in the sand mm-hmm. because the world's already done it. You know, the enemy's already drawn the line in the sand, saying, "I'm not giving up. I'm not going to give an inch." We need to start drawing a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to give my attention to you. I'm not going to allow you to distract me. I'm not going to allow you to derail me and stand in the fullness of God's presence. Mm -hmm. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's fullness of peace. And we not only have God's word as in the written word, but we have the example of all of the people in his word that were given before us, Elijah being one of them. Yes, I mean, God was intentional to record the trials Elijah went through. Yes. As we go through each step, we see Elijah go through moments just like we are. God, I really don't want to sit here on my couch for another night watching another episode of blah, blah, blah. All of my sports teams are not on or all of my favorite things are not on because they're on lockdown or whatever. Well, guess what? Elijah wasn't able to do his favorite thing because he was sitting by the brook waiting for the raven to bring him his food, and he was feeling all down on himself, and God had to remind him, you're not the only one. Stop complaining. You know, time and time again, God would provide and bring provision for him and tell him to move from place to place so that he would have enough but also so that he could minister to others. Yes. And so he would prove time and time again that his power had not failed. And if we take the example God's laid before us and then take what Paul told Timothy and begin to encourage ourselves in the Lord because we've received gifts from the Lord, then we will be stirred up in our Father God. But if we don't allow ourselves to see the example that's been laid before us and we focus on the situation around us, then we can let the enemy win. We have to make that decision. Just like Pastor Barry said, if God is God, serve God. If not, then go play golf. Let's just not try to straddle the fence anymore is what I'm trying to say uh, in doing that. You know what really comes down to this. You, You want to see our nation come together in unity and be restored. Guess what? It is not about electing the right person. It's about the people of God finding uh, repentance and, and renewal and restoration with God and revival coming to your church. Your church, I don't care if it's a little country church or if it's a big mega church, whatever church it is, churches all across this land are going to have to wake up and 
and and through repentance see a renewal of what really matters and see that then when their church is restored the altars rebuilt and function and then the nation can experience and i i could add one more thing about restoration in his life with an individual and talk about family and church and the nation but we could talk about justice as well too that's right the story of naboth's vineyard took place when Ahab, the wicked king, went home one day because Ahab, because this man Naboth wouldn't sell his vineyard. Uh, Israel, uh, their, their land was precious to them. They didn't sell it. It was in their family for generations. They didn't do that, but he wanted it. And he went home and cried and acted like a little baby, you know, as a president, as a, not a president, as a king. And his wife, Jezebel, came in. She said, I'll get it for you. And in the process, Naboth gets murdered violently, total injustice. I mean, here's a man just trying to protect his property, and those in authority are evil and come and kill him and take his property. And so through Elijah's preaching, uh, that's going to ultimately bring a great justice to that situation. And, you know, we're talking a whole lot about justice in this nation. And you want justice? Uh, Justice will never come through man's anger. Uh, It'll never come through man's works. It'll only come when the church of God's people are restored and functioning properly, and then righteousness will come and justice will come to a land. Those that need justice will get justice. There will be, you know, you're not going to solve racism by passing a law. Uh, you know, you don't do it. It's a spiritual, it's a sin problem. And it's only going to happen when you change people's hearts. I mean, we, right. for my whole life, we've poured money and money and money into this problem. We've started organizations. We've done all these things. And thank goodness for all that. But look where we are. We haven't changed much at all in ways that we should have. And so how do you do that? When people's hearts are changed. And there's only one person that can change heart, and that's Jesus Christ. And he can do it. And when he does it, it drains that racism out of your heart. It drains uh, the spirit of murder out of your heart. It takes all that anger and rage and allows you to love other people like they should be loved. And that's the that's the answer. People get on to me all through the years. You know, you get up as a preacher, and you might be educated as a preacher, and preach very educated, but you get up and say, you know, Jesus is the answer for the problem. And people say, that's just too simplistic. No, it's not. Everything else we've tried, technology, money, all these things has not brought us very far as a people. Uh, It's made us uh, very lazy and have a very uh, pampered life, but we still have in our heart anger, murder, rage, injustice that's taking place. It'll only be changed when God changes our hearts. When he changes our hearts, then we'll see true justice coming. So I'm, I'm excited about the spirit power of Elijah rising up in the church again. I believe we're ripe for it. I believe people are seeing it. I believe we're on the, just the edge of people coming alive in that and, and churches being revived. And as a result, a sweeping spiritual awakening that like took place on the 13 colonies before we were ever united as a political nation. We were united spiritually uh, in yep. a great revival and spiritual awakening. In the, in the uh, Second Great Awakening, uh, during the 1800s in the, in the prairie lands, we saw some tremendous manifestations of the Spirit and a uniting as the nation grew into that. We're desperately in need of it again, and I'm praying God will do just that very thing. Me too. Amen. I've been praying for revival, and I even loved reading about D.L. Moody. And I know we're at the end of our time, but D.L. Moody, if you have time and you can read his autobiography, the one that his son released, which was the official one. I mean, reading about how he went to, from being a shoe salesman mm-hmm. to being one of the top 
preachers of the day. It's amazing. His goal was not to be a preacher. He simply wanted to be a man that served God and served him well. And God saw it, honored him, blessed him, and was able to use him to powerfully change a nation. But see, that's not any different than like you or me. God wants to use any one of us that's willing to do his work to reach our neighbor, our community, and our nation. So I guess my challenge, and I'm sure that Pastor Barry is right along with me, is take up the cross that Christ has given you and begin to do the work that he's assigned you. Don't delay. Begin to press deeper into his presence and move into the things that God has for you to do. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. It's been great to spend some time with you. I hope to hear from you. Be clinging at trophylakes.org, mooseministriesinc.com. Uh, let us hear from you. Any questions, any ideas, any things you, you'd like to communicate with us, we'd love to hear from you. God bless you.